0: So it's draft politics. It's episode ten or maybe ten point five because we're going to split things: state, local, and then national and international politics. We're uh, still talking so about beer. And
1: since you may be new to the podcast, this may be the first episode. Uh, I'm Steve. This and is my I'm EJ. DJ. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we're talking uh, national politics. Our other half of the podcast is all state and local. So, right. So, if you want to
0: learn about Chicago. And Illinois Politics, tune into that. You're listening to the wrong thing. Please stop now. Right. No, no. Listen to this whole thing and then go back. Right. 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 That's what you're supposed to do. Yes. And Um, then uh, review us on iTunes or Stitcher. And
1: and an important show note is we've had a little more beer than usual by this point in the podcast, so it could
0: get interesting, people. It could. (laughs) And in a first for our podcast, so those of you who are just joining in, we always end up at a brewery. We're here talking about the breweries in Chicago, which are prolific, and amazing, and awesome. Uh, Today, had some logistical challenges. We've ended up at a place that has multiple breweries in one location, and Steve and I were able to pour our own beers at different places at different times. We had no idea what we were getting. We actually have very different tastes in beer. Yeah, he's very much a hophead. Yes. Loves
1: his cloudy IPAs. I'm very much like Belgians and you know sours and and that kind of thing. For
0: me, minimum IBUs like seven hundred, right? Like I want it as bitter as possible. And
1: yet we find ourselves both separately choosing the Vera, which is a pistachio cream ale from around the bend brewing. Right. I've had it before and liked it. I saw it up there. I'm like, I'm definitely getting that. It's 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 amazing. Yeah, Yeah. It is
0: amazing. It tastes like pistachio ice cream. In beer form. In beer form. So I could only imagine what it tastes like in a float. So Circus 2020. Election Circus 2020. We can't get away from it. We have 20 some odd candidates on the Democratic side. For president, it's always a party every week. Yeah, and so
1: this week it's been interesting. Is uh, they had the uh, Democratic State Convention, I guess it was, and they had something like fourteen of the candidates show up and, and give speeches in California. In California, and um, the last day of the convention. There were a couple of people like Hinkenlooper Looper and Delaney who were people there, speaking, paying a real close and amount of attention. All impression that I and heard then um, were there a couple of the speakers that. managed to get people's attention. Uh, Hinkenlooper Looper uh, went off on socialism, got a bunch of booze from the crowd. The best one was Delaney, and you may think to yourself, "Who the hell is Delaney?" This is the only the second time you'll have ever heard of him. The first time was when he got in the race in the first place. <laughs> if you remember that. Uh, Don't. He went and uh, we went after Medicare for all. And as soon as he started into it, like, he got a solid minute of people booing him. And he's trying to, like, figure out how to walk it back and all that sort of stuff. But it
0: it was pretty ugly for him. Well, I mean, right now, I think we've talked a little bit about lanes that the different candidates have. Is moderate white guy a lane?
1: Well, I think there's a certain amount of jockeying for hoping Biden falls and then trying to sort of fill that gap. And so, yeah, I think there is. Um, Another person I think is trying to get in that lane is Bennett from Colorado. Um, I saw ads targeted at me going after Medicare for all. Whoever is doing his ad targeting is Mm -hmm. terrible.
0: (laughs) So, Bennett, (laughs) uh, your digital team, if you're listening, Yes, yes. Need, need to work on that. New digital team. Hair. I mean, that is that is astounding. Yeah. I, I mean, if we think about what I think we all kind of picture, and we may be a little biased or have our own bubble, but our picture of what the Democratic base is going to get excited and fired up about, I can guarantee you attacking Medicare for all is not one of those things. Absolutely. Well, and what
1: particularly drove me nuts was in his ad. It wasn't just that he's like, "Oh, I'm not a fan of it." It was, and it's going to take people, you know, insurance away from 180 million people. Yeah, it's going to take their insurance away and give them something better. I mean, you've got, you've got Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan, and it talks about dental care. You remember the last time your dental care wasn't covered in your health care? You don't, because it never happened. So, you know, I mean. You can have I think there's some very good nuanced points to make about how it affects people who work in insurance yeah. and and how does that transition happen and all that. But don't come at me and, and try to, you know, say scaremonger with one hundred eighty million people losing their insurance.
0: No. no, no, no. I I can't imagine a Democratic platform in 2020 that doesn't include some form of. Broader insurance for everybody.
1: Oh, yeah. And everybody, I mean, even Bennett will talk to universal coverage. And yeah. same thing with uh, Delaney. They'll talk about universal coverage. Well, what does that actually mean? And fundamentally, it's either you're either talking Medicare for all or you're talking about something more akin to like a, uh, like payer. the Dutch system or one where it's like, yeah, there's private delivery. of There's private insurers. But they're all so heavily regulated that they may as well be government. Right. And so that would be a possible approach. But then it's just how do you regulate them? Um, how do you deal with the fact of, you know, the the weight that those insurers have with their lobbyists? I, you know, if, if that's the way we were going and we're saying we're going to do the Dutch system, I'd be fine with that. But that's not what anybody's really saying that I've heard.
0: So do you think it'll be easier or it would be easier in some hypothetical world to go for Medicare for all. And, you know, we have had candidates and other uh, elected officials kind of talk about the death of the private insurance system. So that model versus a a more hybrid model where there is a public system with private delivery or private augmentation. Well, and I think... Private delivery makes sense no matter what we're talking about. Um,
1: you know, I mean that's most of the uh, nominally socialized medicine that we see in the world is insurance is socialized. The actual the care is delivered by private hospitals and private doctors, and I think that blends both systems well. It's like the the having a common payer for all of that, and then having competition within the marketplace for different skill sets and different doctors. Right. That all actually makes good sense. What doesn't make sense is what we have now, where it's like private insurers have a weird weight in the system. People can't negotiate with prescription drug companies who can charge, you know, insane rates, um, and the government can't negotiate. The government can negotiate, even though the government insures a whole lot of people. Um, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, and doing Medicare for all is is obviously a stretch from what we are, where we are right now. But like. We already are covering everybody over sixty-five with Medicare, right? And I think one thing that's not talked about enough is Medicare has a financial problem that would be solved by putting everybody in one system, right? Because everybody in the pool right now, it's the biggest problem is everybody in Medicare is turns out old and sick because it does that by design. It's a very bad insurance pool, Uh, and so expanding Medicare and putting it all into one system would make us all.
0: of that same system right so people say i don't want my health care dictated by the government or socialism like ah it's crazy to have medicare for all but what actually happens because all of the older sick people get put on medicare is that we are in essence subsidizing private insurance companies by making their pool of people healthier and less expensive to pay for yep
1: yeah and so i think you know, as I look at these candidates, I'm like, saying Medicare for all is maybe there are barriers to get there, but it's at least an aspirational goal. Mm-hmm. It's saying this is where we want to go. This is this is our values, and this is what we're going to do. And if you have to compromise, but you get further to that, you know, at least there's there's room to talk about that. Yeah. If we start off with a compromise of, well, let's just give somebody a way to buy into Medicare and then da-da-da-da-da-da, then it's like now we're already starting at the negotiation point, just like yeah. we did last time with the Affordable Care Act.
0: Yeah. And it, it feels to me like the majority of, of people in the Democratic caucus voters really want something that is going to guarantee that everybody can have health insurance yes get there however you want but you know some some plan that puts up arbitrary barriers or makes it seem like we're protecting private industry private insurers probably will be rejected by most democratic voters yeah yeah you know, and we kind of got
1: a little bit off uh, on a tangent here away from Circus 2020. So let me bring us back with simply saying Edge, Budajedge? Edge. Yes. I think I got it right. Yeah, I think we've got it right I have now. nothing else to say about him. He really hasn't done anything noteworthy lately. So but he's still in the talk. He's still in the mix of he's still Bieber. in the mix. Uh,
0: I did see an interesting thing uh, this last week that said, and I quote, no podcast. Is too small for the 2020 candidates. So, well, I've got my
1: my Warren has a plan for that T-shirt on. You do. so I don't have
0: my Seth Moulton T-shirt on today, but I challenge you, 2020 candidates, to validate that statement. So, better we, are very, is, yes, we, we are. are very small. Yes, we are very. Better O'Rourke is going to be here in Chicago next week. Right. I've contacted the campaign. Okay,
1: so we'll see. I would like to literally have a beer with the presidential candidate. I think that would. I, would. I think better O'Rourke would be a good I guy to have
0: a beer with. Sure. Listen to some punk music. Right? Sure. He's a punk guy. So we'll see how that works out for him. But I, I said in the last podcast I was going to reach out to candidates. So I was going to reach out uh, to the representative in Michigan who came out and said that Donald Trump should be impeached. So now— Justin Amash, yes. Justin Amash. So— I'm going to start reaching out to all the Democratic candidates. Because what's the worst they can do? Say no? Exactly. Exactly. Maybe they'll just log on to iTunes, rate us. That'd be good. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. You know what? You could do that, too. You could do that, too. All right. Be on a similar footing, in my mind, with most of the presidential candidates. How good would that feel? Right? You could be
1: one of the... 20 some odd presidential candidates right merely by reviewing our show as it turns out special little dnc thing we you know we've got connections what can i say
0: something that i i wanted to bring up and you know i know you're a big fan of elizabeth warren and i and i i like elizabeth warren as well i'm not wearing a warren t-shirt i don't have a an elizabeth warren sticker on my laptop although i think i did give you yours that is true Elizabeth Warren, two big things this week, two big things. One, she started polling in the double digits in some big Democratic recognized polls. And we'll talk about the importance of the Democratic you know, committee recognized polls in a second. But that was a big thing uh, because really anybody cracking those double digits is, is important. The second thing is she got some praise from an unusual place this week. So somebody, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. But on Fox News this week, no Fox near. News, Tucker Carlson came out and he said, I've got to tell you, Elizabeth Warren has got some good messages about the economy. You know,
1: there's this weird, this weird part of right-wing populism that every so often will just, like, kind of cross over somehow in weird ways. Like, I remember when, uh, this is many years ago now, when, like, Lou Dobbs, now he's gone crazier since then, but, like, Lou Dobbs was saying some populist stuff that it was like, as a progressive, I'm like, yeah. Now, he wasn't getting all, like, racist and xenophobic and all that, so, sure. that, you know, that came, that was probably there, and I just didn't notice it, but I notice it now. Um, but, yeah, no, so... I guess it's good. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw it away, but it's always a little bit weird.
0: <laughs> well, and he was specifically responding to some of his, Elizabeth Warren's plans because she has a plan for that around the economy and trade. And she talked about patriotic economics and patriotic trade and all of those things. And he he was all in favor of it and then said if you didn't feel creepy enough before, she sounds like the best parts of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I guess if there were best parts of Donald, I can't even do it. No. Right, just, exactly. No, no. And so,
0: I, and this is something that's really interesting to me. And again, I hammer on this every week language. And what did people talk about? Look, this is this is the as if right so donald trump did talk a lot about things that would be good for people who have been left behind right you know populism is meant to support people
1: well and he ran as weirdly as a progressive if you listen to like a lot of stuff he was saying he was like talking about like oh everybody's gonna get their medicare and their social security and then you know right you know and obviously through some cutting taxes and whatever else and you know, oh, and a little racism and xenophobia in there for, for flavor, but you know, uh, sprinkled on, yes, with buckets, um, all white sprinkles, all white sprinkles, um, but you know, They're vanilla. But like, if you look at like fundamentally, a lot of those populist messages align well to what progressive Democrats right.
0: say. Now, he hasn't done any of those things, yes, and well, because
1: I mean, there's the same core. Everybody recognizes the same problem. I mean, even, you know, Bernie Sanders recognized the same problem that Donald Trump recognized. He just provided answers, whereas Donald Trump provided, you know,
0: race baiting and demagoguery and all that good stuff. Sure. And so I look at that, and it's very interesting to me that we would have somebody—Tucker Carlson is not fair or balanced. Yes. So you look at that and you say— what is the strategy there? Because I don't believe it's a sort of off-the-cuff, I'm going to say this. There's a strategy there, and I I think that's to close the gap. It is to start diffusing her as a contrast, as a foil to Donald Trump. Oh, she's doing the same things. That's, that's my... Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So... Several Democratic candidates have been on Fox News recently, and now we've got some Fox News folks talking in a reasonably positive way about a Democratic candidate or two. And the question I have is, do you think that any positive messages from Fox News for or towards Democratic candidates helps diffuse some of the vitriol that's put forth against them, right? So if yeah. Donald um, Trump says Pocahontas is a fake whatever, 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 and Tucker Carlson says she's saying some good things, what does that do well, I in think cognitive dissonance yeah, I think part of it
1: is it's early, right? So it's like there is not one target for them. So- they're listening. There's different candidates. are saying different things. They have their own thoughts on who's going to be the nominee, playing one against the other. So it leaves a little bit of room for them to have an opinion outside of that sphere of, okay, well, now we're on the attack and this is our target. Yeah. Um, I think as we get a clearer sense of who's going to be the lead on this and who's going to get the nomination, that you're going to see everybody bu- the, the wagons will circle and they will do what they can to protect Trump and do what they can to undermine uh, the other person. Uh, But it's going to be interesting. I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot of weird dynamics that are possible here because, yeah, Trump's going out there and, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to just raise tariffs and screwing up markets and everything. Like, there's, I feel like there's, how is there not a cabal of rich people who have hired an assassin or something like that? Like, there's, we're not advocating that. We're not advocating that, please. You know, Although, yeah. the Social, if the Secret Service would like to rate our podcast, that'd be great. But anyhow. <laughs> um, wow. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it's sort of amazing to me that there hasn't been more of a pushback against some of that stuff. Now, granted, um, you know, maybe there will be and maybe there's some things happening behind the scenes. I mean, Lord knows there's been several things where Trump has one day thought something was a good idea and two days later was right. like, never mind. Uh, yeah, and,
0: and tariffs you know, have been one of those things where certainly rank-and-file Republicans, especially in the Senate, would typically not support those things. Yeah. But are there 20 of them? Because you need that many to override well, a veto. And the answer to that is no.
1: And I think what's going to happen at some point, I, what I hope happens at some point, I should say, is that yeah, one or two guys are always going to be the, the, the nail of the sticking up that's going to get hammered down. Justin Amash is sort of testing the waters of what one can get away with. And so it may very well be that cracks start to form and enough people realize that they can actually stand up to him and get some political benefit from it,
0: and then he's in a different situation all of a sudden. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. So, but, but let's talk a little bit more about, again, Circus 2020 and the Democrats. So we've got... We have the first set of debates coming up. Yeah,
1: June 26th and 27th in Miami.
0: In Miami, where they like to be warm. I mean, really, Miami.
1: So Yeah, I like Miami in June.
0: You know, it's very affordable. Exactly. <laughs> so they've decided to split it up over two days. They're not going to do a varsity in JV like the Republicans did. Yeah, they're just did.
1: drawing lots and whoever gets on the stage. Drawing lots, right? Although <laughs> I so feel like the DNC is gonna screw this up somehow. Oh man. Oh. Like yeah. they're gonna like it's just gonna be it's gonna be total random chance, but it's gonna turn out that Biden's on a stage with nine people you've never heard about. Right. And then and then all the other people are gonna be on the other stage.
0: Right, with like and somehow like I, I don't know, a Republican guy is gonna show up on stage two. Uh, just yeah. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Some wild card. But the criteria that they've laid out to get people on the stage. So, you know, because they've got so many people, you've got a poll at 1% in three polls that the Democratic Well, there's two criteria recognizes. that are you can get on one way or the other. So you can get on either
1: by getting 1% in three polls or, or. by raising 68,000. 65,000. 65,000 um,
0: individual contributions uh, to your campaign. Uh, And it it can't be more than, like, 2,000 from one state or something, or 20,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's some other, you know, so uh, essentially it's saying we want to see broad-based support. And we talked about this before, people asking for a quarter. Yep. A quarter. um, Or that, you know, the polling. However, if there are more than 20 people who satisfy one of those conditions— then there are a whole bunch of tiebreakers that come into play. Okay. So, again. So, so the yeah.
1: real question, though, is with S- will Seth
0: Moulton get the wild card? No chance. He's not on. Not on there. I don't okay. think he makes it. Nope. All, all right. right. I can tell you I've gotten 17 emails from him this week. <laughs> please,
1: please, sir, give me some money.
0: I, I Look, I've done all I can, man. Yeah, you got a T-shirt.
1: What do you, what I, else yeah, you got want from Yeah, I got
0: the T-shirt. You? I count as one. Yeah. Um, but it will be interesting and i i do think um we will do this we will we will call out who we think our top 10 is how we think that divides out because i'm with you i think somehow we're going to end up with a a suspicious distribution of candidates right Across there. Like,
1: it'll be total random chance. Nobody will have designed it that way. It'll just look really bad. Just, oh, yeah. just
0: because that's how we do Absolutely. It. Yeah. Like, it'll be Biden and seven people who got sick that night. Right. Right, right. And Seth Moulton. And Seth Moulton. Who didn't qualify. But somehow he's got a space. So, and we'll see what happens, right? I, I think anybody who's running now who doesn't get on the stage is pretty much done. Um, and I think that the purpose for having two sort of divided, you know, equally divided stages is because they don't want to look like they're favoring people now. Oh, yeah. Because it Cause is that still didn't go well last time. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but at, there are still at, people who could get in.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure. As a local host of Drinking Liberally, I, I have to say I'm not exactly thrilled with having to host two nights in a row. But I'm willing to do my part for democracy. Exactly. So.
0: As somebody who's going to attend those two nights and don't have, I don't have any responsibility in them. I'm fine with it. Well, there you go. They're good excuses. I. So, remember though that after this round, like double Jeopardy, the stakes increase, right? So you've got to get two percent or three percent in the polls and have 150,000 donors. To make it into the next round of debates, so yeah. they're going to definitely winnow down pretty quickly, which honestly makes sense.
1: Well, and I think what's going to happen is after the first after the first debates, it's going to be pretty clear that there's a core. I mean, and even right now, there's a core group of, I would say, under ten, but let's just call it ten people who yep. belong in that stage at this point. Um, you know, you've got your you've got everybody from your Bidens to your Buttigieg's. You've got your Harris, you've got your Warren, you've got your Sanders. Who else we got in there? I mean, I mean you gotta, gotta figure be- those maybe a Hinkin Looper. Uh, so you know, I would go oh, governor. Uh, my next year. I think Inslee might have some potential. I mean he's kind of acting he's kind of running on a one issue platform. Sure. But when you look at like what he's putting together, he's trying to tie it into all these other issues i mean you know the green new deal kind of vibe to all of it so, so. gillibrand gillibrand yes uh just north of us Oh uh, yes yes and why her name is falling out of my head is probably because this is another beer but uh
0: well no but i think that that's the point point. Yes. and that that is a really good point so does everybody remember everybody who's running and And here's a question that I've been dying to ask you. I've been waiting for this podcast to ask you. And for those of you listening, this is going to be totally uh, unprepared for him. Do you think that the coverage of the the women candidates by the media is different than the male candidates? So if you see a a headline for a Biden or a Sanders or an O'Rourke... Do you think that that headline is more positive for them than it is for a headline for a Warren or a Gillibrand or a Harris? Well, I have a one-word answer for
1: you: electable. I mean that's, I mean that's one of the big things, you know. And I think a lot of it is my perspective at this point is heavily driven by the fact that I'm am a Warren supporter, yeah. And so I've seen how I'll see people talk about Warren and say, she's great but And yeah. now that said, lately I've been seeing that shift and so I think I mean I think fundamentally what it boils down to is if you're a black man, if you're a woman, if you're a black woman, any of those things are going to add a burden that you're gonna have to get you're gonna have to be that much better to get past it. Obama had to be lights out in order to become president. Yeah. Hillary Clinton had to be lights out and was not. Um, but that said, I think there's also something to be said for there's the coalition of voters who voted for Obama. And if you can get those same co- that same coalition to show up, you will win. And that means getting black voters to turn out in in high numbers. Yes. And that's not something that Clinton showed an ability to do. So that's one of the things that makes me kind of always keep um, uh, Harris in the back of my mind is because she has that possibility. I think a lot of the stuff that that Warren has said speaks to that community well. I say that as a white man. So, you know, large grain of salt on this. But it seems like it's really artisan salt. I'm actually looking forward to, so Netroots Nation's coming up in July. Uh, we're actually having a candidate forum there, so that'll yep. be interesting to see. But I also want to kind of get a feel for people in the crowd and, and how they are reading these messages and what they think of these different candidates from a perspective that I'm not necessarily
0: getting. Yeah, and I... I don't know, I... I was having a discussion with some other folks, and they were saying that the reason that certain candidates can't make progress is because media treats the the female candidates differently than the male candidates. Absolutely. And um, and I'm I'm interested in this not because I think it's not true, but because I feel like it's shifted that. You know the electability question, and I had said at an earlier podcast that we should, you know, stuff that word in the dustbin of history. Well, there
1: is a there is a more forceful pushback against those things. There is a much more conscious recognition of the sexism embedded in a lot of those things. Um, You know, and certainly a a a certain amount of that came about because of Clinton's uh, run for president. Now, I think that. My beef is I feel like she weaponized it in a way that that was inappropriate. Yeah. I know that there are plenty of people who disagree with me on that, and, you know, and I get it. And I will say that having seen it from supporting Warren's perspective, I get it. I do have a different perspective on it, and I'm, I am more aware of it.
0: I think it was still a little different, but, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, people have problems with small number samples, right? Yeah, so they look. Look, Hillary Clinton uh, didn't win. So, hundred percent of women who have run for president have lost. Yeah, but and this is another trivia question here. You know, what's the gap in success rates between men and women running for Congress and uh, at the running for legislation at the state and federal level? Yeah, it's like zero, right? So when people talk about electability. Women win at the same rate as men. Well, and I
1: feel like, but in the conception
0: this, is the other one. In
1: this political moment, I'm not convinced that a that a man can win against Trump. Mm. I think that when you look at the 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 energy that so many women were bringing to the twenty six or excuse me, 2018 race, that I think you would be a fool to like not. Channel that and keep yeah. that going. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think this is one of the things. And 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 I think you can make the argument further: a woman of color would be able to even do it that much better. Even though it seems like contradictory in the electability argument, I feel like there's actually a, a really good case to be made that that's really your best bet when you go into that election. I mean, I still just, I mean, I'm a Warren supporter, but the notion of Harris debating Trump. A prosecutor debating a criminal and he is a criminal everybody like it's just it just makes me giddy it um, does. you know it does. but granted Clinton clobbered Trump in debates last time and it didn't matter a hill of beans so did it not matter but I think you know I mean I feel like a lot of people are very frightened and neurotic about the next election for good reasons but I think I think it's gonna be okay I think that enough people recognize what's on the line that we're not gonna let our petty little bullshit stop us from getting things done. I think that's what happened in, in 2016 was some people were like, eh, she's got it in the bag. I don't really have to do the work. I will throw myself in that. I mean, I went and voted for her, but did I do anything else beyond that? No. Um, or there are people who just you know actively didn't like her, right? Um, I think, to some extent, she acted like she had it in the bag with how she ran in, you know, the the northern Midwest states. She didn't go to Michigan. Did not go to Michigan. She and went
0: to Texas.
1: Did not go to Michigan. Yeah. No. So, mistakes were made. So, if we just, if we have a candidate who's not making those kind of mistakes, we have a, a electorate who's motivated to get rid of Trump. And... We don't have anybody who's being indicted by the FBI. You know that'd be nice, but it would be nice. We'll take it. But you know, given who you know the
0: Attorney General is, I I'm not going to even be bet nice. on that one. But and, and speaking of that, and kind of moving on from 2020, cause yes, there's still going to be a lot to talk about there. On the national front, we've had very little except the Attorney General is now held in contempt of Congress, right? So the yes. Judiciary Committee has voted to hold him in contempt, along with former White House Counsel John McGahn. So there's that. Yeah. Doesn't happen very often, just people um, ignoring subpoenas. There was, um, I didn't quite get the total
1: details of this, but basically there was a way that they were changing the rules about how future um, uh, how that would be handled in the future, basically giving the power uh, to the committee heads To immediately find them in contempt. Uh So they don't have to go through this whole congressional vote rigmarole. uh, Schiff or um, I'm forgetting who's in charge of the Judiciary Committee, but they can both immediately
0: say this person's in contempt and start that proceeding. If you have subpoena power, you can then. Yeah. Yeah. So So, we'll see. So I read an interesting article today. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I would recommend anybody read it. Uh, It's New York Times. They've essentially taken the last two sets of articles of impeachment, those against Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon. And they have taken them and rearranged the text, replaced a few names to show how close they are with what's in the Mueller report. Essentially, here could be the articles of impeachment.
1: Yeah, although the Nixon case for that sounds better than the Clinton case for that. Because the Clinton case, I mean, there was obstruction in there in a civil matter about a blowjob. So, you know, yeah, not he shouldn't do that, fine. But, but what Trump did was obstruct justice in a counterintelligence investigation. Whether well, it was about him or not... It was about the government investigating Russian interference in our election. And whether he thought he was a saint in that or not, they, he was acting to impede people from finding information right. about what Russia did, and that
0: is an enormous problem. And I think when you, you know, the whole point of having those both together was to say there are similarities across all three. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's no, not I strictly partisan and, and whatnot. So... And strangely, it wasn't a lot of national news this week because our dear leader. All all our national
1: news became international news because Air Force One heading to Heathrow.
0: Yes. Well, I guess it doesn't go to Heathrow. It lands at a different airport. Probably it's a
1: military base, something, something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So really my favorite part of this whole thing was the fine picture of Trump in his, is it a tux? It sucks, ish thing. Um, he looked hilariously bad, and I keep wondering how that
0: happened. I mean, that crop jacket, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. I think he got it from like Hot Topic or Jeans West, circa yes. 1998. Yes.
1: Um, so, did did his tailor try to tell him this is the way this is cut here, and him and he said no, 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 do it this way. That's the way it's supposed to be. Higher, done. higher. Did did. The tailor just punk him. Like, he's just like, I'm going to make him look like a total clown and right next to the queen, and it'll be awesome. Right. Who knows? It didn't see the jacket until he got it on. Yep. This looks fantastic. I know that Taylor is on his enemies list, though. Oh, so. yeah. I,
0: I hope so. Oh, yeah. He's on my friends list. Some pretty big protests in London. I have friends in London, and I got texts and pictures of people, both the look at the crowd here to greet – president trump and so you know there's a an area called the mall that leads up from Admiralty arch uh, by trafalgar square and they've got these arches and it goes right up to buckingham palace and whenever there's a dignitary whenever there's a big event they lined that with barriers to stop people from coming in the mall and those barriers were empty empty crickets it was amazingly empty uh and then people taking pictures of the protest of course baby balloon trump was there we love baby balloons. yes
1: you know and i was seeing some people who are like why can't we have those kinds of protests for trump in this country well here's the thing he's he lives here he's not just visiting if he came here once a year every other year we'd be getting on that kind of demonstration we're We're tired i mean think about and i think the best equivalent is the women's march the women's march is sort of your best sort of example of an anti-Trump moment, where it's like, okay, here's this one time we're going to do this. You can't keep doing that every day. We can't be in the streets every day. That's just yeah. not a thing. Um, and I don't think it would. I mean, I don't think it would actually be necessarily productive to do that.
0: No. Um, there are better things for us to spend our energy on. Yes,
1: getting people to show up and vote against Trump. Yes, voting for milkshakes. senators. Vote for people in the Congress, in the House of Representatives. That's that's where the energy should go.
0: But it was, you know, it's been a very interesting week there. Uh, always the diplomat telling Theresa May, I know you've resigned, you're going to step down, but stick around. We'll do a fantastic deal once you leave. Leave the European Union. Brexit's good for everybody. So interfering in their politics and then suggesting to build a wall around Northern Ireland. I mean for those of you who don't know, you know one of the big sticking points around Brexit is that Northern Ireland is is not part of Ireland, it's part of Britain and so in the Brexit scenario that border between Ireland and Northern Ireland becomes a non-porous border and that border is where all of the troubles were. People were killed in that area for many many years. And so there's no solution for Brexit that doesn't include the right answer for that border. And but building a wall. Now, yeah. You, if you just build a wall, though, it'll be fine. Works
1: for It's everything. a solution to everything. Build a wall. Right. And the Irish will pay for it. And the Irish will pay for it, of course. Which Irish, though? Oh, see, so yeah, this is where it all gets complicated. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Irish will pay. There'll be some tariffs. Potato, tariffs. potato tariffs. Presumably. Potato tariffs, DeLorean tariffs. There you go. Sure. Why not? I don't know what Northern No, no, Island no, not exports. DeLorean tariffs. I mean, you know, he's got a. Th-
0: those are his people. Come on. Again, for those who didn't know, the DeLorean was made in Northern Ireland. The more you know. The more you know.
1: Also, does not actually time travel, sadly. I've never been in one, so I'm not sure. Can't say as I have either. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, pretty much wraps us up. Yeah, it's been
0: a good roundup. This has been a strange, strange trip. Yes, we've had a a lot
1: more brewery uh, than our usual here, but that's okay. Uh, But it's been a good time, and uh, we're a little late this week, uh, recording on a Friday. We'll see how that affects us recording next week. It'll be back-to-back, so I hope there's a big news dub here (laughs) soon. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, be sure to review us
0: and uh, rate us and all that good stuff. Exactly. Thanks. Have a great time, and we'll see you next time on Draft Politics.